think we should get started, right? So, namaste and welcome everyone to our Yoga Sutra session. Uh, a few people are joining for the first time. We welcome you all. We'll get we'll get your introductions very soon. Okay, so we'll get introduced to everyone. But uh, let's get started. So close the eyes. <clears throat> Nice and comfortable sitting position, but straight spine if, if it's not too strenuous, just relax. Suicide home three times. <clears throat> Take a deep breath in. Start with this. Uh, <clears throat> oops. Get the, are you able to see the screen? Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, we can. All right. All right. So, so whenever we study Patanjali, it's customary to, to start with this invocation to Sage Patanjali. And you can read the screen or you can close the eyes and Chant along with me. Goes like this Yogi Nachitasya Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasya Chavaidya Kena Yopakarotam Pravaram Muninam. Patanjalin Pranjaliran Tosmi Patanjalin Pranjaliran Tosmi So that's the invocation to Sage Patanjali. And I always Invite one of the people who have not attended the session before, maybe Kelsey, you might want to read the English translation below. Sure. I respectfully bow down with folded hands and offer my salutation to Sage Patanjali, the highest among Munis sages, who has presented the remedies for removing the impurities of the body through his treatise on Ayurveda of language through his treatise on grammar, Patanjali uh, Mahambhashna, <laughs> and the impurities of the chitta mind felt through his treatise on yoga, Yoga Sutris of Patanjali. Very good. 
Excellent. Okay, so this is our uh, invocation to Patanjali. Just recognize the greatness of this great sage from the past. You know, he gave us all the three sciences, which are the most important. You know, speech, mind, and the body. I mean, what else do you need, <laughs> right? Mind, body, and speech. That covers everything. And he gave us all of them. Okay. Uh, everyone, please turn your video on. Ah, there you are. Tanu and Kalpana. Please turn your video on. There you are. Okay. Namaste, everyone. So, uh, we do, like we do all the time, you know, we, we will go through our uh, introductions first, okay? So, uh, I'll go alphabetically according to the list that's displaying on my list, okay? So, again, just tell us your first name, last name, where do you live, and why did you decide to join the session today? You know, there are a few things that we want to know. Okay, we'll start with Anna. Uh, hello, I'm Anna Sisoko. I, I live in uh, Togo, West Africa. Uh, I'm French, actually, and I used to teach yoga, and I, I want to increase my knowledge of the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali that I used to chant, actually, so I want to know the meaning. <laughs> Very nice. Excellent. So it's Anna from Africa. Okay, Jessica is next. Hi, um, I'm Jessica. I, um, Subhash knows I love the Yoga Sutras. I love coming to this class. It's been a long time since I've been able to come, but um, I just live here in Cary. But he was my, um, my great teachers and big inspiration for me. Thank you. Yeah, um, a yoga, integral yoga teacher as well. And so just here today to, to enjoy everybody's company and study together. Thank you. Wonderful, Jessica. You, are you teaching anywhere these days? Any, any? No, so much. I've been remodeling my house. And of oh, course, as you know, COVID okay. made it slower, but um, I've, I'm getting there one day at a time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hopefully one day the, the plan will be to have classes at my house. So wonderful. Excellent. Thank you. All the best. All right. Chetna, next. Hi, Rajkumari. It was very nice seeing you after so long. Hey. Hi, everyone. My name is Chetna Taylor. I live here in Kerry. Uh, I'm a long time uh, student of Subhasji and learning everything he has to offer. I've taken many yoga classes with him and I continue to do so as we speak that he has going on 21 days currently. Um, I uh, feel Subhas is my uh, really inspiration and in whatever he teaches, I want to learn more from him and definitely go into in-depth of yoga. So when I do practice, I, um, I get the benefit of uh, knowing what I'm doing and whatnot. In everything Sebastian teaches, so I this is my first class, and uh, I'm very excited to learn with you guys the Yoga Sutra. Thank you. Thank you, Sebastian. Okay, Eleanor. 
My name is Eleanor Lee and I live in Cary. Um, I'm here today to study, to learn more about the sutras so that I can improve my yoga practice and help to calm the fluctuations in my mind. So that's why I'm here. You have fluctuations, okay. <laughs> All right, okay. Jackie. Hi, I'm, my name is Jackie um, and I live in Raleigh um, and I have taken this or signed up for this class because I wanted to also increase my knowledge of the sutras and um, I really like the format that uh, you have Sabash for learning <laughs> these sutras and I really love what Jessica said about like learning together. I think that's really, really nice too. So. <laughs> and you teach yoga, right? I am a yoga teacher, but I have not taught any classes. I yeah, I don't teach anywhere, <laughs> but I have a certification. You'll get, you'll get there. Very yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jackie. Welcome. Okay, Kelsey. Hello, my name is uh, Kelsey Moylan, and I moved to Apex last year. Um, I. Uh, my name is Kelsey Moylan, and I moved to Apex, North Carolina, oh, last nice. year. <laughs> From where? Um, Western North Carolina is where I've been living for a while. Um, I took a new job here in Morrisville last year and started during nice. the pandemic. <laughs> um, similar to uh, some of the other, the other students, I really want to get a deeper understanding of the Yoga Sutras. And um, I guess to help like better, better my yoga practice moving forward. Very good, thank you. And you live in Apex, you said, right? Very Apex, good. yep. Excellent, Kelsey, thank you. Thank you. And Laura. Hi everyone, I'm Laura Capaletti. I live in Cary, North Carolina, not too far from Subash. And uh, I work at Duke University Libraries now, uh, long career in IT management. And I've been studying with Subash for many years now, uh, both this class and also the more in-depth uh, Yoga Sutra study group that he runs twice a month, which is wonderful. I highly recommend it if you ever want to jump into that discussion. Um, I just am, you know, a learner here. And every time I attend one of these sessions, I learn a new little nugget or something I didn't think about before. And... I think it takes a long time for this content to really sink in. And so I, I think it's kind of a circular, like we read all the sutras once and then we read them again with some commentary and then we study again the same sutras and it has a whole different connotation depending on where you are in your life and what's going on in your mind at the time. And so it's just fascinating. Thank you all for coming. Thank you, Laura. And Laura, Laura is, is one of us rare ones who has uh, memorized the entire chapter one uh, sutras. So she can recite every sutra in chapter one. She's almost halfway through the chapter two, I think now. Yeah, I was, but I'm taking a break because I'm studying a Sanskrit grammar course. Okay. So now I, I'm afraid I've forgotten all the uh, <laughs> the sutra recitation I was doing because I'm studying the basic words now but you know i'll get back around to it at some point wonderful okay so that's it's laura and then lee stallings 
Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. Um, yes, I, my name is Lee Stallings. I live in upstate New York. So I'm not exactly sure how I got connected to Sabash, but I recently took one of your yoga classes and I was just so impressed oh, that when I saw this opportunity, I just jumped on it. I, I tr I've taken two teacher trainings and kind of like what Jacqueline said, I've, I've never taught. I mean, I taught during my trainings, but I haven't taught since. I really trained just to deepen my experience of yoga. And we studied Patanjali and the sutras, but it's been so long. And so I seized this opportunity to study again with you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. So nice to have you. Okay. Thank you. Ramya. Hi, everyone. I'm Ramya Gangadran. Um, I am actually a newbie to this. I just started uh, Subhashji's 21-day course. And um, I have to say, the past six days that I've been taking classes with him, he's really influenced me to learn more about yoga and the sutras. So I'm here. I just signed up this morning because I was like, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I wasn't sure with my three-year-old if I'll be able to do this, but I'm glad I'm able to do it. So it's nice to see you all. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Ramya. Great to have you. All right. Thank you. Okay, Tanu. Hey, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Tanu Sharma, and I'm uh, doing my yoga practice and learning from Subhashji for a really long time now. But uh, I'm so interested in yoga sutras, I never could really get um, learn more about yoga sutra. And I've tried several times before also. But I really love how Subhashji um, teaches yoga sutra. Um, he makes it so simple to understand other, this otherwise very complex text. So I'm here to learn something more and hopefully understand this better. Wonderful. Thank you, Tanu. Welcome, everyone. Did I miss anybody? I think I got everyone. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Kalpana. Yeah, maybe. Kalpana, Kalpana. Kalpana, yeah. Hi. Hi, Subhashi. Namaste. Namaste, everyone. I'm, I've am i been coming to Subhashi's classes on and off over the last couple of years. A lot of times I've missed, uh, thanks to family and their needs, but uh, I'm really glad I'm able to make it because Subhashi's uh, YSP classes really, really, it, it gives me a lot of knowledge and a different way of thinking of life. And it, for some reason, it gives me some kind of peace when I think along those lines. So I really want to get a full understanding of this type of philosophy so that I can just be more at peace with my own life. So uh, Subhashi also um, encouraged me to take uh, Sanskrit lessons and now I'm also taking Sanskrit lessons thanks to uh, joining the YSP classes originally. And now I just attended my Pravesha exam, the first level of Sanskrit. So I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I have a lot more to learn and I'm continuously taking Sanskrit classes too, but then I'm hoping that as Subhashji goes through the shlokas and everything, I will be able to understand it by my own. And then along with that, Subhashji's commentary will probably help me to get a full understanding of, of the uh, sutras. So I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you, Subhashji, for being patient and having us sometimes drop off and drop back in and being okay with it. <laughs> my pleasure as you. Always glad to see you. <laughs> Good to have you guys. 
Okay, <clears throat> so um, since some of you are joining for the first time, so let me just give you a very quick kind of bird's eye view of what we have been doing. <clears throat> uh, so Yoga Sutra, as you know, is a, is a, is a text uh, which is relatively ancient, I would like to call it, and uh, uh, the historians put it almost like 2,500 plus, you know, more than 2,500 years old. <clears throat> That's what most people can tend to agree. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, Patanjali didn't really put something new together. I mean, it, this knowledge has been existent. It's not that something he put completely brand new knowledge, but he, he compiled some existing knowledge and put a lot of his own thought into it and brought it into a, a, a into a system that one could practice basically. Understand and practice, that's the approach. It's based on this ancient text called the Sankhya philosophy. There are several, six schools of Indian philosophy, Sankhya and yoga, they go together hand in hand, okay? Sankhya is a much more uh, ancient philosophy, older than, much older than Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So what Patanjali did was to <clears throat> take some of the very key tenets of the Sankhya philosophy and then built his approach based on those tenets of Sankhya. So they, they go hand in hand basically together, all right? So that's kind of the historical perspective. And the text itself has uh, four chapters, and uh, it has 195, 195 sutras. They are called sutras, statements, you can call them. Uh, and these 195 statements are divided into four chapters. The, the first chapter is called Samadhi Pada. Samadhi is... Uh, the Pada is the, the chapter where it def he defines what yoga is all about and then goes into under developing an understanding of Samadhi, which is kind of the last stage of, of the practice of yoga and then explains various aspects of Samadhi, different stages of Samadhi, how to get there, what you need to do to get there, etc. So all those are a part of chapter one. <clears throat> chapter two is... Uh, is called sadhana pada. Sadhana is the Sanskrit word for technique or uh, methodology, etc. You know, sadhana means of doing something. Sadhana. So obviously, then it says, what are the different means of attaining the goals of yoga that were set forth in the in the first chapter? But then, second chapter is also very deep into understanding what what, uh, you know, the term that he uses is klesha. Klesha, you know, is suffering or, or, or you know, anything, pain that we have, mental pain, etc. In modern terms, we can call it stress. You know, what is stress? Why we, why we get stressed and how we can get rid of it, etc. The second chapter also has a, a very good coverage of the Sankhya philosophy itself. It also covers the concept of karma, karma theory, reincarnation, all the samskaras and vasanas and all that good stuff. Okay, so that's all in the 
second chapter and then toward the end of the chapter it says i'm going to now give you this methodology this sadhana which is composed of eight limbs of yoga that you can practice now and that practice will eventually lead you to self realization so he makes a very strong statement that look i'm going to guide you through these eight limbs of yoga and you practice them nicely religiously <laughs> on a relatively regular basis and you can attain the goal of yoga which is self realization and you know we'll try to understand what that means self realization and then it, the the whole eight limbs of yoga extends extends into the third chapter third chapter goes more into into in depth understanding of meditation and then various aspects of meditation and how some of these meditations can actually lead you to attain super normal powers <laughs> so the name of the chapter is vibhuti pada vibhuti is uh, a sanskrit word for for uh, super normal powers okay things like uh, you know you can you can see beyond walls and you can hear things which normally you cannot hear uh, so many many things i mean there are so many things that that are there as a part of the vibhuti pada you can become small you can become large you can become heavy you can become light and when i say heavy and light they are extremes right you know, not not just a little bit heavier okay <laughs> so those are the vibhutis but then he makes a very strong statement in the chapter in one of the sutra where it says look you know when you do these meditation you can get these uh, get these vibhutis these supernormal powers but don't get hung up do not allow these powers to impact your ego okay if you do that you're going to drop in your super your 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 journey to spiritual uh, you know upliftment or whatever so the goal is spiritual upliftment right to attain self realization eventually but if you get hung up on these vibhutis you're going down basically get them if you get them enjoy them but, but go on don't get stuck with them that's the idea <laughs> and then the chapter 4 is called kaivalya pada kaivalya is this is the word that he uses to uh, indicate the state of final self realization where you have finally understood what the what my true identity is and then he goes into a little more of the sankhya philosophy a little more of the understanding of what are these three gunas you know sattva rajas and tamas and also some more about the how the mind is impacted by our past impressions and how you know what are the different you know qualities of this self realization called kaivalya okay so that's the last chapter fourth chapter chapter number 4 so that's kind of a very high level 50000 foot view of the of the uh, the contents of the yoga sutras and uh, this program i think i started almost about a year little more than a year ago actually i think, I think you know so what i've been doing is in the last 7 or 8 years i go through one cycle and then repeat the whole cycle you know <laughs> it takes about 18 months to go through the entire Text, not not the entire text. I don't cover the all, all the. I don't cover any part of the chapter four, and I only cover about one third of chapter three. Okay, 
uh, in the past, I have also left out several sutras from chapter one, but this time I think I'm going to cover every sutra in chapter one also. So chapter two is 100% I cover every sutra. And chapter one, I have been missing a few, but I'm going to make an effort to cover all those. So chapter one will be complete, chapter two will be complete, and the first 16 uh, sutras in chapter three, that's my goal in all these sessions, all right? So right now we are at the very end of chapter two, okay? <laughs> so we started, we started with the first chapter, and then, uh, like I said, I only did first 16 sutras. That's what I normally do. Then I transition to chapter two and start with number one. And we are all the way up to sutra number 40. We finished 44 last time. And then we'll be doing 45 and onwards today. Uh, and like I said, I will go back and, and do the remaining sutras in chapter one also later on. Okay. So... In chapter two, like I said, what we have done is to study the kleshas first, all the suffering, all the all the five, they're called five kleshas, you know, why we suffer. So those are the five reasons given there. And then we went through the karma theory, reincarnation. Then we went through the understanding of Sankhya philosophy. What are the, the constituents of Sankhya philosophy? Uh, how many who all have not heard the term Sankhya at all? How many of you? Sankhya. Never heard of it? Never. Okay. All right. So, like I said, Sankhya is the is the very kind of the form the basis of, of Yoga Sutras. So what I should do to bring you up to date. Is it okay to <laughs> digress a little and go and go through an introduction of the Sankhya a little bit? Is, I mean, I don't know. Is that okay with everyone? If you have yeah. objections, if anybody has objections, objections, raise your hands. Otherwise, let me. We'd love to. Thank you, Sebastian. Let me quickly see if I can pull that up. Hold on a second. Give me a moment. Okay, so okay. let's see if I can get this going. Okay. So uh, let me just basically go through these slides, okay? Very quickly, I'm not going to spend too much time. Oh, we have someone joined recently, Arushi. Can you turn your video on and your audio on? Introduce yourself, please. Arushi. Arushi. Ah, okay. Hello, Sebastian. This is Bhavan actually. Oh, Bhavan. Okay. 
You it says Arushi. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's my daughter's um, Zoom that she has been using it on the same computer. So okay, okay, okay. So why did you tell tell us your full name, where you're located, and why did you decide to join this class? Uh, well, actually, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so as uh, you, uh, I told you, my name is Bhavin Shah, and uh, just want to understand more about the yoga. Um, uh, understand the more the theoretical approach, uh, you know, about the yoga. I do practice the yoga, um, some Surya Namaskar, um, almost daily basis. Uh, but um, since we're staying more home, so I want to do it more practice, uh, learn more from you. Um, so um, that's why I decided to get to know more about the theoretical approach. Um, yeah. And where are you located? I'm in uh, Kerry. Kerry. Very good. Yeah. Welcome, Bhavin. All right. So uh, let me share the screen with you so we can all look at it. All right. So this Sankhya is a very uh, ancient system of philosophy. It's one of the six systems. And uh, uh, very quickly, like I said, I'm going to go, go through these slides to give you an overview. It's a dualistic philosophy. So there are two principles that are mentioned here, Purusha and the Prakriti. Okay. Purusha is the equivalent of the English word soul or the Sanskrit word Atma. Okay, self, you can call it self with a capital S. Okay, that's Purusha. And that's the entity which has consciousness, which has awareness. Now, the other is Prakriti, which is the, the material counterpart. Okay, so the material universe that we see around us, everything. And then it includes our, our own material body, you know, body, breath, our mind, our intellect, everything is a part of this uh, prakriti, which is the material counterpart, okay? And all that is non-conscious. There's no consciousness, but it borrows consciousness from Purusha for its function, basically. That's how it goes, okay? So in a, in a sense, it's an atheistic philosophy because, well, I probably shouldn't use the word atheistic, but it does, does not need the concept of Ishvara or God. That's what it is. It doesn't mention Ishvara. It doesn't mean it doesn't believe in it, but it doesn't believe it doesn't, you know, anything about it. It doesn't mention any word. So it's a non, uh, non-Ishvara. It's called an-Ishvara. Okay. So it doesn't need the uh, concept of Ishvara. But Patanjali in the Yoga Sutras has added the concept of Ishvara or God. Okay. So there are mainly, there are these three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. Sattva is light, lightness, light, goodness, knowledge, lightness, and intelligence. Rajas is passion, activity, movement, change, energy, etc. And tamas is darkness, inactivity, dullness, heaviness, despair, and you know some of the negative tendencies that we all have. They all fall under tamas. So sattva, rajas, and tamas are the three constituents of everything that is a part of prakriti, everything. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a piece of stone, whether it's a tree, whether it is the human body, whether it's human mind, anything, it's a constituent of, these are the three constituents. Okay? And Bhagavad Gita contains a very detailed discussion on these three gunas. Okay? 
So, uh, well, this is just some of the quotes from Bhagavad Gita to, to highlight the Guna's discussion there. Okay. And then it goes into, you know, uh, sources of knowledge. And the most important thing that I want to talk about is, is these 25 elements, okay? All right, and it's, it's a very strongly in favor of principle of causality, which is the effect is inherent in the cause, all right? So I'm just going to go through this picture to show you uh, what the, the constituents of this human being is, basically, it's all human being, okay? So there are 25 elements that are described here. So on the left, you will see, I just mentioned Purusha, which is the soul or the consciousness or Atma, okay? That's kind of sitting independent of everything else. But, but there's a dotted line here, okay? So that's the main criteria here. There's a dotted line connection to this whole thing. Now, at the beginning of the creation, this Prakriti, this is unmanifest. That means there is no creation actually. This is before time t equal to zero when creation happened. Okay? So it's a balanced state of the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas. When that balance gets disturbed, you know, it doesn't, in the, in the, in the Sankhya philosophy, the text itself, it doesn't tell you who caused that disturbance or what caused that disturbance, but it happened. That's what it says. Disturbance happened between the, uh, and this, un, this balance was disturbed, and therefore, this creation started. And it doesn't go through much detail about how, you know, why this happened or how this happened, but this is the process it describes. So first thing that came into existence is the intellect, buddhi, it's called buddhi or mahat. Then next, the buddhi created ahankara, which is the ego, or the self-identity. And from there, the kind of two branches took over. And then one through one branch, the, you know, these 60, uh, these 11 elements came up, mind, then five sense organs, the eye, ear, nose, skin, and tongue, five organs of action, hands, feet, speech, organs of elimination, and organs of procreation, okay? In, in, the, in the parentheses, you will see the Sanskrit words for these, all right? Then through the tamas, there are five, subtle sense perceptions that came up, the sense of sound, touch, form, taste, and smell, okay? Form is sight, you can call it, sense of sight. And they created all these five elements. The sound created ether, touch created air, the, the sight or the form created fire, taste created water, smell created earth. This is how it goes, all right? So what you have to remember is that we are a composite of these 23 elements now, 23 elements from Mahat all the way down to earth, okay? 23 elements because before we were created, we were unmanifest at that time. And for the creation to happen, the Purusha had to be present and close to Prakriti and it had to give some kind of a nudge somewhere, something happened that this imbalance happened and this creation took place. Okay. So that's the kind of uh, the background of the Sankhya philosophy. And uh, what does it say that the Purusha or the self is uncaused, eternal, all-pervasive, etc., etc. These are the characteristics 
attribute to the Photoshop. It doesn't change. It never changes. It doesn't go through any any uh, perturbation of any kind. Okay, and Purusha does nothing. However, its proximity to Prakriti required is required for creation to happen. Okay, and the example they gave is like a lame and a blind man, blind man. You know, they guide each other. The blind man climbs the back of lame man. Uh, I mean, the lame man. Sorry, the layman, oops, climbs on the back of the blind man. So layman guides the blind man to go, to tell where to go, okay? And then finally, when they reach their goal, they go, go their own ways, okay? That's what happens. So uh, Purusha needs the Prakriti for, for realization, for liberation. So it's guiding, it's, it's giving its, it's giving its uh, consciousness kind of lending his consciousness to Prakriti, which functions in the, in the way so that eventually the Purusha can be liberated. Liberated means it's, it's, its bondage to Prakriti is, is, uh, is severed and then it is free of any bondage. Okay. So I guess that's all I have, you know, by way of introduction to, to Sankhya, because this, Concept of Sankhya is very important for us to understand. Okay, so now, uh, are you able to see this slide now, Sutra 245? Yes. Yes, Sebastian. Okay, all right. So, and, and like I said, in the, uh, in the chapter two, we have this introduction to uh, to the yoga, uh, to the eight limbs of yoga, all right? So let me quickly go back to the slide which introduces the, uh, all right, where am I? Okay, so this sutra number 228, when I say 2.28 means chapter two, sutra number 28, okay? This is where he first introduces the concept of the eight limbs of yoga, okay? And this is a very, very beautiful sutra, very, you know, very descriptive and powerful because it really tells us what the, what the promise of the yoga practice is. Okay? So what he says is, by the practice of these eight limbs of yoga, the impurities dwindle down. The impurities will be diminished. They will be almost eliminated. Impurities are the mind, right? And then there dawns the light of wisdom. So when there are no more impurities, you can see a little bit clearly through your mind. When the impurities are there, there's no passage to see through. <laughs> Basically, it's all covered with that darkness of ignorance. Okay, so when you're clear of these impurities, when you have you know diminished these impurities, there's an ability for the light to shine through. Okay, that covering has been removed, so to say. Okay, so that. That light that comes through is the light of pure intuitive wisdom, intuition. That's pure intuition. Okay. 
and then when that light shines through you know that's when we can kind of make progress towards our final goal of self realization so that's what it needs with that light light keeps shining until we leave, until we reach our final goal of the word he uses is discriminative discernment which is the same term for self realization you understand that who you are basically that's what it is all about okay so the eight limbs of yoga and again i'm sure most of you are familiar with the eight limbs uh anybody who is not familiar at all has anybody never heard of these eight limbs of yoga any one of you please speak up never heard of the eight limbs everyone has okay so uh so then we had you know we had discussion of the yamas and niyamas five yamas and five niyamas okay and then last time we finished up to the the fourth of the niyamas which was swadhyaya all right and now today there we okay so just quick reminder what swadhyaya was by the study of spiritual books spiritual texts you can call them our ancient texts comes communion with one's chosen deity and we talked about this last time okay and today we're going to start with the with the sutra number 45 okay this is the last of the five niyamas remember the five yamas and niyamas does anybody remember anybody want to recite the five yamas and niyamas orally quickly what are the five yamas please speak up I can do in English, not Sanskrit. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. English is fine. Um, non-violence, truthfulness, non-stealing, non-excess, and non-possessiveness. Very good. That's the five uh, yamas, which is ahimsa, satya, asteya, brahmacharya, aparigraha. Those are the Sanskrit words for those five things that you mentioned. If you are interested, what are the five niyamas? Purity, contentment, self-discipline, self-study, and surrender to God. Okay, very good. So those again, the five Sanskrit words for those are: Shauca, Santosha, Tapaswadhyaya, Ishvara, Pranidhana. Those are the Sanskrit words. Okay. So we are now in the last one, which is Samadhi, Siddhi, Ishvara, Pranidhana. So. what we have done in the past is to you know uh, kind of learn to at least sound these words sanskrit words okay so i'm going to ask you to, to do that uh, you don't have to unmute yourself to keep keep yourself muted but repeat after me these words okay samadhi siddhi ishvara pranidhanat okay Repeat, repeat after me. Samadhi, Siddhi, Ishvara, Pranidhanat. Okay. So what does it mean now? Ishvara Pranidhana is the word that he has used. 
Pranidhana means surrender, to let go of your ego completely. And Ishvara has, is, is the word that Patanjali has introduced, which is not in the Sankhya philosophy. Remember, we mentioned that the concept of God is not mentioned in Sankhya philosophy, but Patanjali has introduced the concept of Ishvara into his Yoga Sutras. But then in chapter one, which we haven't done yet, I haven't gone there yet. In chapter one, he has very precisely defined what Ishvara is all about. What is Ishvara? Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so when we look at this concept of God in yoga, we have to very, very clearly, very carefully only look at the, only look at uh, through, through the eyes of Patanjali. <laughs> okay, not through our own eyes, because every one of us has, you know, some different concept of God, you know, whether it's somebody sitting behind the clouds or somebody sitting in heaven or whatever, you know, there are many, many different concepts people have about God, but that's not what we are looking at. We are looking at God, Ishwara, as defined by Patanjali, okay, and, uh, you know, I, I don't have a slide here uh, handy. I don't have chapter one, but the, but the basic concept there is that Ishwara is defined by Patanjali uh, as, as, as a special kind of a purusha, special kind of a, a soul, which is totally unchanged. Okay? It doesn't get affected by anything. The, the Sanskrit phrase he uses is klesha, karma, vipakashayaihi, aparamrishtaha. So aparamrishtaha is totally untouched. That means he is that entity, it's a special Purusha, which is untouched by what? No klesha, no suffering, no stress, no nothing, no karma. Doesn't accrue any karma, no karma phala. That means there's no, when there's no action, there's no outcome of the action. And there's no rebirth, there is no samskara, there's no ashaya. Ashaya means that bag of karma that we all carry. So he has kind of defined Ishwara as, as a being that is absolutely perfect <laughs> in every way. There's no change, no birth, no death, nothing, all right? Doesn't go through any change. And, you know, the way I look at it is that, you know, we, everything is relative in this world, right? Everything is relative, all right? So, if, if there is noise, it's relative to silence. <laughs> if there is movement, it's relative to stillness. Okay. If there is peace, it's relative to non-peace or some something else. You know. So everything is is going in pairs. Everything is relative to something else. So you may have to think of an absolute standard against which you can assess our own movements, our own thoughts, our own behaviors, everything. So that yardstick, you can call it, that's Ishwara, basically. It's absolutely perfect. So if we are, if we are still, it's with respect to some movement. If we are moving, it's with respect to stillness. And everything that's going on is with respect to something which is a standard, which this kind of the Zero state of everything. <laughs> so that's Ishwara, all right? That's my, my kind of way of looking at it. 
as the the hundred percent perfect being, which cannot be transgressed, which cannot be surpassed. So that's the kind of entity or purusha what he says when you when you recognize the existence of this being, this entity. It's not a being; it's an entity. You can call it. When you recognize its existence as something very, very special, something very perfect, then you have the ability to surrender to it. Because we know that I'm not perfect then, <laughs> because if something is perfect, I'm not perfect, and I have limitations, and I go through all kinds of stuff. I go through mental changes, mental agony, mental suffering, mental you know joy, all kinds of. Joys and sorrows, so I I go through change, and I also go through multiple lifetimes. I collect my samskaras. Samskaras are the impressions that I carry in my bag, and that bag gets transferred to my next life, and all that stuff. Okay. So I know I'm not perfect, but then if I recognize the perfection that that Ishvara represents, and I surrender to that, I say, Ah. I'm going to surrender to you now. That means I recognize you as the ultimate reality, and when I do that, I'm able to at least diminish my own ego because now I cannot say, hmm, "I'm so and so." You know, who the hell are you? <laughs> okay, but that's because I recognize something superior to me, and that state of the mind. What Patanjali says by total. Surrender to God, samadhi is attained. Samadhi siddhi—that's the word he used. That means the attainment of the final objective of yoga is possible to be attained by surrender to God. Okay, that's the whole concept of Ishvara pranidhana, surrender to God. Okay, so. Let's move on to the next one. All right. Okay. So again, I've given the same definition. Ishwar is a special purusha who is untouched by the afflictions of life, actions, and the results thereof produced by these actions. That's the sutra number twenty-four in chapter one. That's the definition of Ishwara. And I'll be getting back to much more detailed discussion of ishra in in the future lessons as soon as we finish parts of these okay i'll go back to chapter 1 and study all patanjali has to talk about ishra and these uh, the, the you know the kleshas that he mentioned in this sutra kleshas the afflictions or the pains and there are there are five in number okay ignorance egoism likes and dislikes and fear of death those are the five uh, you can call them attributes of our being which cause us pain and suffering they are called klesha now the meaning of ishvara pranidhana or surrender is that i want to dedicate all my acts to the supreme lord ishvara and then renouncing the results thereof so first of all i have to think that look there is first of all first of all there is a purusha you know which is Uh, which is guiding you know which providing the consciousness i have to recognize that first of all and there is some special purusha behind all of this okay which is giving every one of us that energy that that enthusiasm that that spark 
that makes us do whatever we want to do. So once I recognize that, then I can surrender to that reality called Ishwara. And then whatever action I do, no matter what it is, whether I'm working at a corporation, whether I'm you know, planning my food in the, in the kitchen or whatever action I do, what I have to realize is that the, the inspiration or the guidance is, is a result of that consciousness that is provided by Purusha. And that Purusha is in, kind of influenced by the Supreme Purusha called Ishwara. Okay? So my actions are driven by, by a higher force, so to say. That's number one. <laughs> if you can kind of imagine that. Actions are driven by a higher force. At the same time, whatever I accrue as a result of my action, as an outcome of my action, whatever outcome I get, okay? So if I'm cooking some food, whether the food turns out to be tasty or not, it doesn't matter, but I'm, I'm going to surrender that outcome also to, to God. So let God, let Ishwara take care of all my problems, basically, you know, in a sense. It's a very, it's a form of, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, they call Bhakti Yoga. Some of you have heard the term Bhakti Yoga. The bhakti is devotion. Okay. And this is in that sense of Bhakti Yoga, because now you are saying that, look, I'm doing things because I'm inspired by this force, that's energy that's coming from somewhere else, some higher source. That's my source of inspiration. That's my source of energy. So I'm able to do work. But then whatever I get as a result, I'm not going to claim ownership of that. Okay, if I get a promotion, I'm not going to say that I'm so good, you know, that nobody else could do anything like I did, so I get a promotion. No. I'm going to say that, look, this promo the, the, what I, the activity that I did to get this promotion were, were, were caused by this presence of Ishwara. And whatever I get, I'm going to offer it back to that same Ishwara. That's it. No, I'm, you know, I'm just, a, just an instrument. I'm just a medium to, to carry out the responsibility that I'm assigned for. That's all. So that's the kind of devotional state of mind, which Patanjali calls Ishwara Pranidhana. Okay. So that's why it's called yoga of devotion. Okay? Now, you know, this Ishwara Pranidhana, uh, if those of you who have gone through this in the past also, you know, we know that Ishwar Pranidhana appears three times in the Yoga Sutras, three times. <laughs> okay, first time it happened, it appears in chapter one. Now chapter one was talking about at that time how to calm the mind, how to calm the mind. And it, get, it went through several different options how to calm the mind. And one of those options given was Ishwara Pranidhana. And there the statement was, you can, you can do this to calm the mind. You can do this to calm the mind. Or you can do Ishwara Pranidhana to calm the mind. Or, so there was a, that was an optional statement. So it was an option in chapter one, okay? Because the statement was or. Okay, and then in the chapter one, it was all about mind, you know, how to calm the mind. So it said that to, the way to understand Ishwara is that it's, it's represented by the sound Om. 
And then all you have to do is to chant the sound of Om repeatedly and keeping the very essence, keeping its very meaning in the mind. That's what he said in chapter one, okay? Then he goes on to define some of the other characteristics of Ishwara and he says, keep all these attributes and, and characteristics in mind when you recite the sound of Om and that becomes your Ishwara Pranidhana, basically. So that was at a higher mental level. This is more of a practical approach in, in, the, in the chapter two, this whole concept of Ishwar Pranidhana is more like a, you think of a combination of karma yoga, you're doing something, and bhakti yoga. So it's a combination of karma yoga and bhakti yoga. In chapter one, you could think of it as more like jnana yoga, knowledge, wisdom, because you are knowledgeable enough that this is Ishwara, so I can really focus on that. Okay, so there are subtle differences in how Ishvara is approached in chapter one versus chapter two. Okay. A question. Yes. Um, the adjective total surrender. It seems like that we could all in theory espouse the idea of surrendering, but we would all go at it, it probably more seriously than sometimes rather than other. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we're really into it and then other times we're not so we're not completely surrendering because we can't quite get past that barrier of not being attached to the fruits of the action or just there'd be something in our mind that would object to the way that we would need to surrender to this so it seems like do you think that's why they attach the adjective total surrender to the uh -huh. to the sutra well the, the sutra doesn't say total surrender or it says ishwar pranidhana which Pranidhana means surrender, okay? Whether you want to add total word or to it or not, it up, it's up to us, right? So it's just a translation that adds the, the adjective total? Yes, yes. It's the commentators who add the word total to it. But, you know, it's, it's up to us how we want to interpret the word Pranidhana, okay? Whether it's total surrender or partial surrender, you know, my my impression is Pranidhana itself means the the, the the moment you add, well, actually that's true. The moment you add the prefix pra, the, the word nidhana, the moment you add the prefix pra, it makes it special. It makes it full, total and surrender. You know? So that's why it is pranidhana. So yes, it is total surrender. That uh, prefix pra adds a lot of emphasis to the, the word nidhana. Okay. Pra is a very common, you know, I'm, I'm just giving, I, I know most of you don't know Sanskrit, but the pra is a very common prefix and, and used in many, many uh, Indian and Sanskrit words like like uh, prakriti, for example. You know, we have this word prakriti, purusha and prakriti. That's again the same prefix pra. The word is kriti. Kriti means a creation. Pra means a very special, very important creation, which is this whole universe. <laughs> That's prakriti. Okay, then again, another word is prakasha. Prakasha is light, but kash means light, to, to glow. When you add the prefix pra, it adds a special meaning to it. It's a very powerful glow, prakasha, very focused prakasha. There are so many words that have pra as a prefix 
which adds much more emphasis, much more value to the main word. Okay, I can give you 10 different examples of this pra. Same thing with the pranidhana. Okay, so some of the commentators, you know, they have asked this question, by total surrender to God, Samadhi is attained. Does that mean other seven limbs of yoga are irrelevant? <laughs> it's a natural question. You know, there are eight limbs of yoga, and here, uh, uh, you know, we have, we are only talking about yamas and niyamas. This is not even the other limbs of yoga. We are not even talking about meditation. So he says, there are eight limbs of yoga, and out of these, Yamas and Niyamas are 10 in number, and out of these 10, only one of them is Ishwar Pranidhana, okay? And if we say that by Ishwar Pranidhana, we can attain the state of Samadhi, everything else becomes irrelevant, right? That's true. But everyone says, no, 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 that's, don't jump to that conclusion. They are all needed to prepare us for intense usual pranidhana. If the mind is cluttered with all kinds of garbage, there is no way you can, we can, you can surrender to Ishwara. There's no way. If all the impurities are there, if there is anger in us, if there is hatred, if there is greed and jealousy and, and, and anxiety, all those negative things are there in the mind, we cannot surrender to God. Then our ego is always dominant. There's no way to surrender. So what, what all these commentators tell us is that to attain the kind of purity of mind that is needed for surrender, you have to go through all these eight limbs of yoga. There's no, there's no way. And then go to surrender to Ishwar Pranidhana, to do Ishwar Pranidhana, and you will attain Samadhi. All right. <laughs> okay. How are the liberated Purushas related to Ishwara? This question is not answered by Patanjali, nor any commentator. This just came to my mind. You know, this question is something that I raised in my mind. And I was looking at the different commentators. I could not find an answer uh, to this question. You know, so when the Purusha is liberated, is there any connection with Ishwara? I can't find the answer. If you find the answer, let me know. <laughs> It's a question mark I put for myself. And another text we always talk about in the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna emphasizes the importance of the path of devotion. And the chapter 12 is normally referred to as the chapter on, on Bhakti Yoga. Okay, So if you are interested in, in, in the Gita's concept of Bhakti, of course, every chapter has Bhakti in it. Gita is full of bhakti. It's always, uh, Krishna is always saying that, look, you do bhakti to me and I'll take care of you <laughs> in every way. <laughs> That's the Bhagavad Gita. But then chapter 12 is uh, kind of mentioned as, as the bhakti yoga chapter specifically. But there are many other chapters, like I said. Okay. So. I have a question, sorry. Yes, yes, please, Anna. Um, according to Patanjali, a Purusha, is it an individual or is it a 
global? Purusha is individual. Oh, that's a very good question. Okay. okay. The, in the Sankhya philosophy, okay, every individual Purusha is on its own. <laughs> that's a very uh, strong component of the Sankhya philosophy. Okay. So, so like I, you know, if I'm looking at myself, you know, I'm my I'm my own Purusha, right? I'm my my true identity is my Purusha, basically. Okay, so that Purusha is now right now, it's it's uh, it's in bondage with my ego and my intellect. It's not free. Okay, so through these practices of eight limbs of yoga, I'm going to be liberated. Okay, when who knows? Maybe in, in the next hundred lives, the next thousand lives, who knows? Okay, but through my efforts, through my practices of eight limbs of yoga, I'm going to be eventually liberated. Okay, but that liberates only me. Only me, not my, not you or somebody else. You have to do your own effort to liberate your own Purusha. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there a difference with uh, Vedanta? Yes, absolutely. Very different. Okay. Vedanta is totally different, especially the part of Vedanta, which is called the Advaita Vedanta. I don't know if you've heard the term Advaita Vedanta, which mm -hmm. is a non-dual uh, form of Vedanta. Yeah. Okay, there, there's just one entity which is considered the supreme, just one. It's called Brahman in Vedanta, Brahman, P-R-A-H-M-A-N. I don't know if you're familiar with these terms. But in Vedanta, they call it Brahman. There is no separation at all. It's one entity which is real. Everything else is Maya. <laughs> so it's a very different concept there. But in Vedanta, there is no Purusha. Well, you know, there's a concept of Jiva, which is the same thing as okay. Purusha. In Vedanta, there's a concept of Jiva, but that is a sub subset of, of, Ish, of, of Brahman. Okay. It's a manifestation of Brahman. It's not individual, right? Like in, in, in Sankhya and Yoga, everyone is individual. Okay, so in Vedanta, Jiva is part of Brahman, right? Yes, yes. But it's individual. It, you know, that's, it, that's the individual manifestation of Brahman for the same purpose that Purusha does in the, in the Yoga. Oh, sorry, can you repeat the end of, the, of what you said? I'm sorry. So in, in yoga, we have purusha, which is entangled with the ego and intellect, etc. right? And that's okay. the same thing as jiva in, in Vedanta. It's the same thing, right? Right, yes, yes. So, 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 so purusha is also a manifestation of Ishvara, right? No, that's the whole point. Patanjali okay. or Sankhya, see, in, in Sankhya philosophy, Ishvara is not even mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but Patanjali yeah, has yeah. added Ishwara, but he doesn't say what Ishwara does. He doesn't say that Ishwara is the creator of this universe. Nobody says okay. that. Okay. 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 It's a very different concept in that sense. You see, in, in Vedanta, you need Ishwara to create this universe mm -hmm. through, the, mm -hmm. through the power of Maya. I'm, I don't know if you want to get into that because that's a different topic altogether. And we get confused if we get there. So probably not there. <laughs> so the, on the bullet about how how is how are the liberated Purushas related to Ishwa, it seems like he would have addressed that somehow because you're supposed to give total surrender 
to something that you may not be related to based on your question, right? Yeah. That you may have no relationship to. You're giving total surrender to something that... Well, I mean, we, we are not related directly, but then if we think of it as a pure being, as, a, as an entity, which is a special, he calls it a special Purusha, Purusha Vishesha, that's the Sanskrit word he uses. So he still relates it to somehow to Purusha, but doesn't tell us anything more about that. Nothing. That's it. He stops at that point. Special Purusha. Purusha Vishesha. Okay, so it's up to us to kind of understand what he might have meant. <laughs> it's a very uh, strange situation we are in. Okay. Any other thoughts on Ishwara? So that's the final limb of a uh, final uh, niyama. So we have five yamas, five niyamas. And like I said, we covered all the nine in the previous sessions. And today we finished the discussion on the five niyamas also. Okay. So the next in line is the discussion on the practice of asana. Okay. <clears throat> All right, so this is the definition of asana. Okay, so let's read the Sanskrit first. Sthera, you know, repeat after me. You, know, you can stay on mute, but repeat. Sthera, sukham, asanam. <clears throat> okay, sthera, sukham, asanam. All right, so that's the definition of asana. Only two words. Sthira and Sukham. And the word Sthira, okay, Sthira is something that is stationary, something that is steady, something that doesn't move, okay, Sthira, okay. So the body has to be very, very stable, unmoving, unshaking, no trembling, no disturbance whatsoever, you know. All those ideas are associated with sthira. Sukham means basically it's the opposite of dukham. Dukham is, is suffering or pain or discomfort. Sukham means absence of any kind of discomfort, pain, suffering of any kind. That means it's, it is very comfortable, easy, uh, pleasurable, you can say. Okay, that's the these are the two attributes associated with asanam. Okay, asanam. Now I'm emphasizing the word here asanam because some I've heard some people pronounce it as asana. Okay, that's a very, very wrong pronunciation of this word. It's asana, not asana. Okay, make sure you pronounce it correctly. You know, it's a very uh, important thing to understand that in Sanskrit. Pronunciation is extremely important. If you, if you mispronounce something in Sanskrit, it has no meaning at all. It doesn't mean anything. It's unlike English. You know, in English, you can have multiple pronunciation of the same word and they, are, they all can you know, go okay. You can say tomato, tomato, you know, potato, potato, you know, who, it doesn't matter. But that's not true in Sanskrit. You cannot change the pronunciation. You know, one thing I always like to mention, that in English, 
you have spelling bee, right? It's a very huge, uh, you know, uh, sport, you can call it, spelling bee. Why? Because there is no rule to follow, you know, to, to apply to spelling anything. Spell anything any which way you want in English. That's why there's a spelling bee. So can you have a spelling bee in Sanskrit? No way. <laughs> if you know how to pronounce a word, you know how to write it. If you know how to write a word, you know how to pronounce it. There's no ambiguity there. So it's very, very precise. You have to know how to pronounce a word properly. If you pronounce this as asana, it means nothing. That's not a Sanskrit word at all. Okay. So sthira sukham asanam. And you know, you will notice that these, there are these, this is called diacritical mark. On, on this top of the letter A, I have a bar. I hope you're familiar with these, with these symbols, right? They are called diacritical symbols. Okay. They let us know that this is a long sound, ah, as opposed to this A, which is a short sound, asanam. It's not asanam, no, it's asanam, okay? That's how it is. All right, let's move on. And it's derived from the root word as, which means to sit, okay? And it implies a seated posture suitable for meditation. Seated, sitting posture, as, asana, okay? And asana also means the seat that you're sitting on. For example, the mat you're sitting on, and right now if you're sitting in a chair, the chair is your asana. You're sitting in your asana, which is a chair. Okay. And you might be sitting in a posture. You might be cross-legged or your hang, legs might be hanging down. That's your posture. That's also an asana. But the seat that you're sitting on is also an asana. That's important. But everything here relates to sitting posture. Asana is all about sitting. But then subsequently as things evolved, the meaning got extended to include all the asanas that we, that we practice in the, in the Hatha Yoga practice. Okay, so all these postures that we do, like sitting postures, seated postures, uh, the reclining postures, standing, inversion, and all those twists and pretzel shapes and everything, you know, they are all, they, instead of coining a new word, these yogis said, okay, we'll just call everything as asana, <laughs> even though they're not sitting. Okay. Oh, hold on a second. How do I mute myself?
apologize for that. Let me just go back to the screen. All right, so, uh, so like I said, you know, when, when so the, the idea was, you know, Patanjali says, sit down in this very comfortable, steady posture and meditate. I mean, he, he talks about pranayama, we'll come to that. So he says, sit down in this comfortable posture, do some pranayama and then go into meditation. That's what it is all about. But then when people started following his guideline, they realized that it is impossible to sit for any length of time. You know, you, you sit for 10 minutes, your, your knees hurt, your hips hurt, your shoulders kind of, you know, you need to move your neck, shoulders, legs, everything, you know, so that's not comfortable. So that's how this whole science of Hatha Yoga evolved. Hatha Yoga is all the practices that we do, you know, asana practice, pranayama practice, you know, everything was designed to develop a body which is nice and strong, flexible, stable, so we can sit for a long period of time. But the, the true meaning of asana still remains to be a seated posture. That's important to recognize. Okay. Okay. So steady implies no shaking or trembling. It's a firm posture. So a comfortable and steady posture is required to practice the subsequent limbs of, of yoga, okay, which is pranayama. Again, I'm just using some of the words that commentators use, steadiness of breath, and then stillness of the mind, pratyahara and meditation, etc. Okay, and we'll come to those limbs very soon. Okay? So a seated posture becomes a prerequisite for your other practices, pranayama, pratyahara and meditation. And in Hatha Yoga, the asana practice is to develop a strong and flexible body, resulting in eventually comfortable and steady, steady seated, seated posture. Okay? And then, you know, these commentators, they also tell us that asanas, they help us remove the nine impediments and the four accompanying symptoms that are listed in chapter one. We went through these while we were discussing chapter one at one time. So. What are these? Does anybody remember the nine impediments? <laughs> I know Laura does. <laughs> okay. Oh, I have listed them here. Sorry. I thought I didn't. Okay. So this was from chapter one, Sutra 130. And these are the nine impediments. And I'm just going to very quickly go through this. There's no reason to go deep details. We did that already when we were doing chapter one. So disease, dullness, doubt, carelessness, laziness, worldly mindedness. That means attached attachment to worldly things, all the senses, sense perception and all that objects of the senses. That's worldly mindedness, avirati. Delusion. Delusion means you're not sure, you're confused about things. Confusion, you can call it. Not understanding the reality of anything. That's confusion. Pranti is confusion. Pranti darshana. And the non-achievement of any stage in, in spiritual uh, growth. Aladdha bhumi katwa. Okay. Bhumi is the, is the field or the stage or, or a place, you know, that we want to attain. But non-attainment of anything that you are looking for. Instability. Anavasthitatva. That's the 
that's both instability of the body as well as the mind okay so these are the nine uh, impediments okay they cause the distraction of the mind and they are the obstacles okay the obstacles to what obstacles to our spiritual growth our I, the whole idea in chapter 1 was to understand how to calm the mind that's all you know the whole go- yoga is about calming the mind but these nine they they become obstacles in our growth in our spiritual growth to calm the mind okay and then when these are there they are also accompanied by these other four so that's sutra number 131 which is mental pain dukha that's the the word used dukha mental pain despair daurmanasya despair means oh my god i have lost everything i have i'm no good you know all these negative thoughts that come in the mind that daurmanasya okay mana mana is mind daur means it is totally dejected mind you know it has lost any confidence in itself and it's confused it doesn't know what to do and it's ah, to hell with everything you know <laughs> that's daurmanasya despair i call it uh, i mean the commentator calls it despair but it's more like dejection and lack of uh, any kind of commitment any motivation nothing dormanasya nervousness and then trembling angam eja angam is the body actually the body limbs of the body angam is uh, limbs limbs of the body eja yatva is trembling so trembling of the body parts that happens with all these things you know and, and then breathing shwasa prashwasa shwasa is inhalation prashwasa is exhalation and then breathing is uncontrolled basically it's not smooth it is not even so it is very distracted disturbed breathing that all happens with the, these things symptoms all right now what what the the comment this is not patanjali this is the patanjali doesn't say that these are the commentators who write all these texts on commentaries they say that asana will help us remove these impediments and the accompanying symptoms okay because we need to be rid of all this all these uh, impediments all these obstacles so we can make progress in our spiritual journey okay so asana is very important they say all right okay that was 2 num 2.46 all right okay it's almost 4 o'clock and what we always do when we close the session before we close the session we sit for 5 minutes in a very quiet uh frame of mind very peaceful quiet eyes closed so we'll sit quietly for 5 minutes we always do that
our closing sequence. <clears throat> and again, we'll do the, the invocation to Sage Patanjali before we close. And uh, before we close, I would just like to mention that, you know, I'd like to take a, uh, a picture, if you don't mind. <laughs> All right, so yeah, make adjustments to your camera. Anna, is there any way to make your light brighter or anything? Anna, you're in darkness. Everyone else is nice, bright lighted. Bright faced, shining with the glow of Patanjali's wisdom. All right, just gonna take a quick screenshot. All right. Thank you. Oh, Anna, you ah, now it's better. Come, yeah, let me take another one now. Okay. So we'll again do the invocation to Sage Patanjali. Did I lose the screen? Let me share the screen. Yeah, you're not sharing. Oh, there it is. Okay. So again, we'll do the invocation. <clears throat> Inhale. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaidyakena yopakarottam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi patanjalim pranjaliranatosmi the closing Shanti Mantra. Om Asatoma Sadgamaya Tamasoma Jyotirgamaya Mrityorma Amritangamaya Om Shanti 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 Please lead me from unreal to the real, darkness to light, from the fear of death to the knowledge of immortality. Peace, peace, peace. Rub the palms briskly. Let's make a cup over the eyes. Softly we'll cover the eyes with the palms to relax the eyes. Join the hands and raise the arms up. We'll do our, pay our tribute to all the gurus, including Patanjali. Shri, bend forward as you exhale. Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha. I bow down with deep respect to all my teachers. And I pay a very special respect to my teacher, Guru Patanjali, for giving us this ancient wisdom of yoga, which is going to help me lead a more joyful, peaceful life. Slowly come back up. Thank you all very much. And 
you have any thoughts or comments, please share it now. Any questions, I'll be very happy to stay back for a few more moments. Anything that comes to mind, speak up. <laughs> Thank you, Thank so, you much. so very much, Sebastian. I really enjoyed my first class. Thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Sebastian. Okay. Thank you, Sebastian. Right. Right. Everybody. Me... See you next time. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. See you guys.